0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Deanne and I are experimenting to make sure we do this right this time. Last time I failed to push the unmute button. So, how does that look to you? Is it too loud? Okay. Good morning. Good morning. Um, so my name is Maria Stratman. for those of you who don't know me. <clears throat> Andrea will be back next week. I exchanged emails with her last night, so I know she's intact somewhere, wherever she is. And in fact, I know she's doing a retreat at Spirit Rock right now, so that's where she is. Um, I seem to be having trouble holding these pieces together this morning. I apologize. Okay, there we go. So um, last week we talked about cultivating presence. And when we talked about cultivating presence, I told you that secretly it was about the seven factors of awakening and that we would come back to that today. So that's my intention, is that we do that. So I want to just kind of go over some of the ideas that we were talking about just so that we're back on the, in the same feeling of, of that. So when we talked about presence, we said there were two aspects to presence. One was the showing up part, where you show up in the room. And the other was what is the quality of the heart that you bring to that moment? And that both of these are a component of what we call presence. So there's bringing oneself and one's intention, attention into the room. Here I am, I'm in the room. And secondly, is the heart there with you? Is it open? Is it caring? Is it available? Or is it totally protected? What does that mean? Is it uncertain? Is it secretive? Is it tentative? In order to cultivate an open, non-judgmental approach to the moment, we really need to develop also having a compassionate, open, open heart. So we talked a little bit about what that meant and the fact that mindfulness, just taken as a I'm watching, watching, can be a very cold element if we don't have the warmth of kindness and generosity and compassion to add to that. And one of the things that I mentioned was that there was a quality of vulnerability about that. A quality of vulnerability. And if we have time, I'd like to come back to that idea today because that's something I've been exploring over the last week. Particularly because uh, I sat through a Dharma talk given by someone else last week who talked about vulnerability as a really scary thing, and uh, that we needed to overcome our sense of vulnerability. And it was so foreign to the way I was thinking about vulnerability. I think it's worth exploring, but we'll come back to that if there's time. So the second idea about, about cultivating presence is that there is value in cultivating presence or cultivating those factors that lead to presence that allow us to be really engaged in the moment? And so we ask the question, how do we cultivate this capacity? How do we do that? You know, so somebody brought up that uh, one of the ways we think about someone with presence is they have uh, charisma. You know, there seems to be some kind of energy attached to that. But we think of charismatic people as that's a characteristic of them and it doesn't have anything to do with me. You know, Here I am, Minnie Mouse. I'm not Mickey. Um, and I don't think presence really has to do with that. And I don't think it, there's an inherent quality that, that gives somebody an advantage over presence in the moment. But it can be the natural outcome of our practice. And that's more what I would like to explore today. How is it the natural outcome of our practice? Also, we talked about the importance of intention having to do with being present in the moment. What is the intention that we bring? Because that gives us a place to kind of check in. Where am I? Where am I with this? But the intention all by itself is not enough. We may all want to be athletes, but that'll get us in the arena, but not onto the podium. There has to be a, an element of cultivation and development that we'd like to get into. All right, so we also talked about using metta to develop a compassionate heart, how to be more engaged in the moment by being kind to ourselves and the importance of being kind to ourselves. Also, the element of a fierce showing up in the moment, a fierce intention to be here. There's a lot of energy in that idea also. It's, I'm here, I have a right to be here, I'm determined to be here in this moment, to occupy this moment that we're there for whatever arises in that moment. There's a kind of suchness to the moment. It's like this. We're here. It's like this. So that we're not pushing the moment away. And so we finally came down to the attention-intention balance was we see how things are. We note whether they lead to suffering or not suffering. We see how to proceed in the world to realize suffering or not suffering. So those are some of the the ideas that we explored. And we talked particularly about... These are things that lead to suffering. These are things that lead away from suffering. That a part of mindfulness has to do with being able to do that basic kind of evaluation... That mindfulness is more than just showing up, so those are those are the things we talked about, and now we 're going to we 're going to look at the seven factors of of awakening in the context of that. The reason I want to do this is very often uh, lists of things in Buddhism tend to be just kind of lists, and it 's pretty hard to relate them to anything that has to do with how I'm living my life. And one of the things that I discovered about the seven factors of awakening is that there was something I learned on the cushion about them. And there's something that arises as I go about my daily life that involves them. And neither of those things was a deliberate action. That is, the seven factors of awakening tend to arise out of practice and they can be cultivated that is we can make them more with us so what difference does that make? there's a a little line I have here in the Dhammapada which is one of the original uh, teachings of the Buddha Uh and I chose the wrong page Those who fully cultivate the factors of awakening, give up grasping, enjoy non-clinging, and have destroyed the toxins, are luminous and completely liberated in this life. That sounds good to me. (laughs) Luminous and completely liberated in this life. Now, you know, it's, it's not very many things. Cultivate the factors of awakening, give up grasping, enjoy non-clinging and have destroyed the toxins are luminous and completely liberated in this life. The toxins being greed, hatred, and delusion. Now, these are not minor things. (laughs) I don't want to pretend about this, but it's actually pretty simple. And when we talk about the seven factors of awakening... They're le- linked to all of these things. They're linked to the toxins, the greed, hatred, and delusion. They're linked to clinging and not clinging. It's, it's like a central clearing ground where everything kind of comes together. You know, one of the difficulties when you talk about this is that it's, there's almost no string you can pull on that doesn't lead you way off into another arena. Another set of lists, another way of thinking about Buddhism, another way of thinking about the moment. Because this is, a central, this is a central clearing place. This is where it all kind of comes together. So what are the seven factors of awakening? They are mindfulness, investigation, energy, joy or rapture, relaxation or tranquility, concentration and equanimity. Do it again. Mindfulness, investigation, energy, joy or rapture, relaxation or tranquility, concentration, and equanimity. If we are good at all of those things, and by that I mean if we have the capability of giving voice to these factors in our lives, we will be able to let go of clinging not clinging, greed, hatred, and delusion. So they're well worth cultivating. Well worth cultivating. That's why, that's why we're talking about it to begin with. Okay. All right, so let's look at mindfulness. Mindfulness is something we all have an idea about. We know what mindfulness is. Something about mindfulness has to do with meditation, being in the moment... Oh, we talk about non-judgmental awareness. We come into a moment. We notice what's going on in the moment. We don't make, uh, we don't have opinions about that moment. We're just in the moment. We pay attention in a particular way, and what I mean to, about that has to do with where we focus our attention, because there's lots of things that happen in a moment. And we actually can 't take in everything, so we choose where to put our attention and what kind of energy we put into that attention and we've We've used the the uh, example of um, paying attention to one person and being aware of other pers- people in the room, but where is the attention focused so You may recall that the example I talked about where this came home to me had to do with uh, noticing for myself when I was telling a story to a friend how contracted and anxious I was about something that was going on. And then she asked me a question about something that was slightly unrelated but related to something I had said, having to do with her visiting a friend whose friend had just died. And how she wanted to know what should she have said in that moment that would have made her friend feel better. And we talked about showing up, just showing up and what does that mean. And in the process, I recalled being with someone in hospice and how we handled that moment and my heart softened. And being able to notice that that contraction in the moment and the softening in the moment was liberating for me. I didn't go back to telling my story that left me contracted and anxious and argumentative. I stayed with that feeling of the soft heart. I was able to make that choice because I could see that choice. That has to do with the mindfulness. So we, we can see what's going on and we can evaluate it in the moment. We notice something about what we're noticing. It's different than being non-judgmental. Judgmental judgmental has to do with, I like this, I don't like this, I'm pushing this away, I want to hold this close to me. And there's there's a, a, a different energy feeling to that judgment in the moment as opposed to noticing what's true about the moment. Does that make sense to everyone? So that there's a, a quantitative, qualitative difference. So that we do not confuse non-judgmental with being non-discerning. So we <laughs> discern what's going on in the moment. We notice what's going on in the moment. So that we are, can use that information. We decide whether something is wholesome or unwholesome. Does it lead to suffering? Does it lead away from suffering? That's part of mindfulness. It's a part of mindfulness we actually don't talk about very much. That part where we can, we can actually make choices. You know, We say, well, if I know what's going on in the moment, then I can make a choice about how to proceed and what my next action is going to be, and I'm free of reactiveness. We're only able to do that because we're able to tell, ah, this leads to suffering, this leads away from suffering. So there's a kind of self mastery involved in mindfulness. So that I can come into the moment and I can allow the moment to be the way it is, and I have choice. Mindfulness really gives us choice. But if we don't actually see, then we don't have choice. So when we're in a moment and we're being mindful, what are we mindful of? There's an object of our mindfulness. One thing we talked about was where are we directing our mindfulness? But also... When I'm sitting in here right now, there are several things that I can be aware of. Very areas of things I can be aware of. I can be aware of the physical condition of my body. Am I contracted? Am I open? Am I at ease? Am I anxious? Am I happy? You know, I can. I can. I can get that. I can look at the feelings. I can feel the body. I can feel my emotional feelings. I like this. I don't like this. I can look at the the mental attachment of which way my mind goes. I want this to go away. I want this to be different. I'm happy with this the way it is. I can be mindful of what thoughts arise in my mind and pay attention to those and I can, can say, I am here in the moment. I'm aware of being calm. I'm aware of being jealous. I'm aware of being embarrassed. So there are lots of things that we can be aware of in the moment. I can aware, be aware of my tendency to being pedantic. I'm going to lecture you on this idea. So yesterday... I went into a room, I I do hospice on Monday mornings, and I went into a room and there was a young woman sitting there uh, with her mother and her father, and her father was in the bed and uh, was dying. And the mother was in a wheelchair and she was highly demented and she was also a resident in the hospital in another area of the hospital. So, it, so that was the scene, and I came in, and I sat down. She, she invited me to sit down, so I sat down, and I kind of sat on the edge of the chair. And because I wasn't sure how welcome I was, or what was going to evolve, I was kind of sitting on the edge of the chair. And then I was leaning in so that I could be part of the circle, because I felt a circle forming among the four of us. And after about ten minutes, I realized I looked like I was about to pop up and run out of the room. <laughs> Because I was sitting right on the edge of the chair. And so I stood up, and, and she looked very alarmed, the young woman, that I was going to leave her here. Because it turned out she wasn't quite sure what to do in the room. She was there all right. But she had a, a mother who was demented, who, who it was unclear what she was taking in, and a father who was uh, non-responsive and... What happens next? And there I was, perched on the edge of the chair, looking like I was going to fly out of the room. And once I sat back, she relaxed. And it was only because I realized how far I was leaning forward into the room, what, what I was creating in the room by that physical shape of my body, leaning that way. So by being aware of that, I was able to, to change not only her impression of whether I was actually in the room, but my own. I was able to settle in and say, I'm staying here, I'm here, I'm here. Instead of, well, this could be just a little pop-in and everything's okay and I'm going to leave. Those kinds of awarenesses, physical awareness, what's going on, who are the people in the room, how am I taking that information in? That's all part of mindfulness. What, what's my impression of the room? Uh, ah, I see. She looks a little tense. This woman looks a little tense. So I'm paying attention to what, am, what, are, what are the inputs I'm getting, what are the physical inputs I'm getting. And then, then, because I have all of this data sitting there, I was able to say, I need to settle. And that allowed all of us to settle. So that's what we're talking about when we talk about mindfulness. It isn't just being aware, but it's being aware with, a cer- with some discernment so that we can evaluate what's happening in the moment and settle into the moment. Okay? So we try to see things as we are, they are, but we also ask, what else is here? And that's the second item of the seven factors of awakening, which is investigation. So it's not, well, what is the relationship of this woman to her father and her mother, and how does the mother relate to the father? It's not the external investigation of all the facts of the moment, but it is saying what's true in the moment. What else is true in the moment? What else is true in the moment? So it's a process of going deeper. It's that process of going deeper is what really creates a sense of inhabiting the moment. So you don't just take things on face value. This is what it looks like. But what else is here? There was a, there's one, of my, one of my favorite stories about this is by Sharon Salzberg tells the story. And she, she talks about being in a, a train station, you know, a very large train station. And some uh, young guy came by on a skateboard, zipping right by. And she immediately jumped up and she started yelling at him, be careful, what are you doing? And then she started thinking about that and saying, wow, that was a fairly... Not very kind response to this guy going by and he was just going by and she thought about it and decided what had happened is he actually had scared her. He didn't hurt her, he didn't push push her, he he didn't do anything to harm her. It just scared her. So she went up to him and she said, young man, I don't know what she said to him, but he said, yeah, and she says, you know, I'm sorry for yelling, I was just scared. And he said, cool, cool. <laughs> and I love that story, because what could have been a really nasty encounter for both of them that they could have carried around for a long time, turned into something entirely different because she was able to say, what's really going on here? What else is happening? What else is happening? And when she recognized it as fear, she realized she had acted out of fear and therefore she had been unkind to him. That it, it it wasn't really that what he was doing was dangerous so much as she was afraid, which is very different. So she was able to change the moment based on that. So so we, we search what else is happening. This is what leads to right understanding. And what else is happening? And you all have examples of doing this in your life. You know, you can say, oh, yeah. I'm saying this, but I really know. Okay, so the third one. So the first one is mindfulness. The second one is investigation. What else is happening? The third one is energy. So energy has, it's actually a mental, a mental factor. has to do with what is going on in the mind. And energy is kind of obvious in that you, you can feel a kind of fire, There's a kind of uh, movement associated with energy. But also there's an aspect of courage about energy. And it's that willingness to show up for whatever is there, good or bad. You know, it's, a, it's that fierce determination to be in the room. It takes courage to show up. In every moment. There are a lot of moments that I'd just as soon not walk into. I can think of some recent telephone conversations I've had with family members that I was really reluctant to place. <laughs> and, and being willing to actually place the call and and meet whatever is at the other end of the line is something that occurs in every moment. It takes courage. To show up for the moment. And that's part of this energy also. So there's a, a, a feeling of effort. There's a feeling of fire. There's a feeling of determination. All of this is part of energy. So we've got mindfulness, investigation, energy. The next one is joy or rapture. This actually is my favorite. And the reason it's my favorite is that it leads to a willingness to come back. If you can find joy in the moment, oh, oh, <laughs> yeah, I like that. There's, there's a kind of pervading feeling in this quality of, this is okay, this is going to be okay. Oh, and and it, it is something that is uplifting. It's hard to talk about joy and keep your shoulders hunched and bent over at the table, you know. Joy is something that perks you up. And it is something that arises primarily when we're engaged. Joy is something that arises when we're engaged. And it almost always arises. if you're watching a child play and you're really wrapped in watching that child play, joy, joy comes right up. What I notice, one of the things that makes it, that has been a direct result of my sitting on the cushion is that even when I'm resistant to going and sitting on the cushion, once I sit down, there's kind of a body memory that brings joy. There's, I I think that it arose out of being on long retreats where a sense of calmness was present and I would settle into that feeling even when the retreat was about aversion. The physical sitting down on the cushion now, for me, brings joy. because it's been such a source of insight for me, and it leaves me with this sense of lift, just lift. And I can, I can feel that sense of lift, and I can remember it in my body, the same way I remember all the horrible things I've ever done that caused me other kinds of stress. And this is one of the things we talked about last week also that one of the ways of cultivating presence is to pay attention to those things that we do well, to notice the things that make us happy, that make other people happy, that give rise to not suffering. And joy is one of those characteristics that is a good thing to notice. Oh, what else is happening here? This is really great. Oh, what else is happening here? How is this something that I want to increase and maximize in my life? What is happening that gives rise to this joy? Gil likes to say that there is a kind of letting go into associated with joy. A letting go into. Very often we, when we talk about letting go we are letting go of something we're holding on to but there's also this I would say that's the, the feeling I have when I sit on the cushion is there's a letting go into that moment just letting go of everything else and settling into that moment so that's another way to think about joy uh, in one of these. So the next thing after, after joy is uh, tranquility and joy often leads to tranquility you heard me even talk about the settling in and how peaceful and remembering the calm and, and that is one of the factors of, of awakening and one of the, the crucial factors about occupying the moment is to be relaxed in that moment tranquility is being, just allowing yourself to be in that moment oh just here and there's a calmness, there's a calm, calmness in the mind that just is relaxing into this. This is okay right here, right here. I'm going to stay with this. It has to do with calming, calmness of the feeling, even if that feeling is joy or that feeling is sadness, to just be okay with that feeling. The settling in, here I am. Ah, that. There was a, a time uh, not too long ago where I became very aware of just feeling sad. And I wanted that sadness to go away. I really wanted it to go away. And then I said, well, what's, what's the sadness about? What is this sadness? Where do I feel the sadness? How do I know I'm sad? And I found this little spot right in the center of my lower chest that felt painful and I put my attention right there and just felt it just felt it and pretty soon it changed of course and it was like a little throb a little throb a little throb and then I noticed that it it changed again and it was it was softer and it felt almost I I had some affection for that little piece of sadness that was sitting there in the middle of my heart Affection for my sadness. Oh, that little piece of sadness. I didn't make it go away, I didn't feed it, but I had a, my heart made a different movement toward that sadness. And I settled in and was calm with that feeling of sadness. So it doesn't mean that you have to have, that everything has to be perfect and you have to be in paradise and bliss to experience tranquility. Tranquility is just being okay and settling into it. There's a calmness of body, a calmness of mind. There's no rushing away or rushing into. There's a kind of poise. You're just poised there. Lightness, lightness. It is possible to have this composed mind in the midst of chaos. If you remember last week when we talked about the charismatic person, I said, you know, the one thing about charismatic people is they like to be in control of things. And if things get out of control, they're the first people out of the room. Because they like to be in control of things. And so this spirit of calmness is important to be able to stay with what's going on. It is not a lack of affect. It has everything to do with just being there for that. Finding a place to rest in the midst of chaos. Wow, look at all that. Hmm. <laughs> this is possible. This is possible. The next one is concentration. Concentration in this sense has to do with the steadiness of the mind, the ability to really focus on something and be steady on it. And that's related to the the aspect of tranquility as also also. So that you you are unmoved and undisturbed. It doesn't mean you don't waver. <laughs> it just means that you say, okay, hmm. There was a, a remarkable woman. I, I, there was just a lot of things that happened yesterday. There was a, a woman I met yesterday who was sitting next to her partner who was dying. And I said, this, uh, this seems... Uh, And she was recounting the story of how they got there, and it was kind of anxious. And I said, well, so how are you doing now? Because this could be very difficult. And she said, oh, no. She said, we had two months, and now we're here and we're together? This is great. And I looked at her, and I thought, wow. (laughs) This was someone who really loved her partner and was sad that she was losing her. But she was able to stay in this moment and be safe with that moment in a way that I just found remarkable. Just remarkable. So that's what we're talking about. It wasn't that she was happy about what was happening. It was that she was able to be there with it and to, to find a place of resting with it. And the last one is equanimity. Now, oh, equanimity is another one of those places where uh, uh, people seem to have the idea that equanimity is something that will forever escape them because there's always a charge. Charge comes in and we say, oh dear, what am I going to do with this? But equanimity is part of that being able to accept whatever comes and goes to weather the experience without being washed out into the ocean. It's to be able to, to, to have the waves come up and hit you and wash away again. It describes the heart that can hold everything. It doesn't mean that we're invincible. It just means that we can accept that this is happening in our lives whatever this is, it's happening in our lives. This great joy, this not happening place, is right there. Where we become not so attached to gain and loss, fame and ill repute, praise and blame, pain and happiness. Where we're not jettisoned back and forth between these and bounced like some kind of handball in a, in a handball court. You say, "Oh, this is praise. This is praise. This is blame. Okay." There's a wonderful story about a Zen master, uh, and uh, the name of this story for me is "Is That So?" And the uh, the a young woman gets pregnant by a local fisherman boy, and her parents are furious. And they want to know who the father is, and she doesn't want to tell them because she doesn't want her lover to get into trouble. So she accuses the local abbot of the local monastery. And they, they go to him, and they yell at the guy, and they say, this is all your fault, and he says, if you say so. Mm-hmm. So the baby is born, and they take the baby to the monk, and they say, it's your baby, you take care of it. And he said, if you say so. And then she decides she didn't really want to give the baby up, so she finally tells the truth. And they go back to the monk, and they say, well, we want the baby back now that we know who the father is. And he says, if you say so. Now, this is a quite remarkable story, and I I doubt very seriously if I could have handled it quite that well. (laughs) But it is a Zen story. you know. They they always have great uh, outcomes. But it is a source of inspiration to me. That if somebody accuses me of something, I don't have to defend myself. I mean, sometimes there are times when you you need to do that. But basically, that is that so feeling that I don't have to be blown away by this just because you're accusing me. I don't have to be inflated just because you think I'm wonderful because of something I did today as opposed to yesterday when you thought I was a turkey. So, so those, are the, those are the aspects of those that, that have to do with the seven factors of awakening. So there's investigation, energy, and joy. Those things are really useful when the mind is feeling kind of sluggish. Tranquility, concentration, equanimity. Those are good when the mind is kind of excited or overly eager to go somewhere, overly energetic. And mindfulness is sort of the balancing factor for all of those. What's going on? What's going on? What's going on? Be here. What's going on? So how do we cultivate these factors? A, we notice them, first thing. Notice them, notice them, notice them. We're not in the habit of noticing them. We notice all the bad things we do. Notice the seven factors of awakening. Know what it feels like in your body when you're tranquil. Oh, wow, I'm tranquil. I remember the first time I truly experienced calm on retreat. It scared me to death. I had no idea what it was. I'd never experienced that degree of calm. Wow. Oh, I didn't even know what it was. Remember that. Keep it. Know that. Retain memory of their appearance. Increase activities and conditions where they arise. Oh, (laughs) now there's a novel (laughs) idea. Why not? And don't entertain conditions where they cannot arise. If I know that every time I call my brother and talk to him on the phone, I'm going to be yelling and screaming, why would I do that? (laughs) That is not cultivating tranquility, equanimity, no. I need to have another approach to solving that problem. So, let me go back for a moment to presence. Joy, the quality of lightness in the moment, of a loving and open heart. Investigation, awareness, really paying attention to the moment, asking what, what else is happening, being in the moment. Energy, warmth, engagement, 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 engagement. Mindfulness, attention, Relaxation, which has a lot to do with vulnerability, which we probably don't have time to talk about. Concentration, which is steadiness. Steadiness. And equanimity, accepting what's happening in the moment, not pushing it away. Those seven factors are really what constitutes living in the moment, occupying the moment, and lead to happiness. So those are my thoughts. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions or suggestions or observations, I'd be happy to hear them. And of course I have lots more to say. (laughs) Yes? Let's use the microphone, please. Hold on just a moment. So I have a tendency to look at all the different sides of the situation. So when I hear that story about the monk... Yes, the monk. You hear the story about the monk and you worry about the different sides. Yeah. when I hear that story about the monk, I... We have a microphone. Great. Uh-huh. Hi. Hi. So, so... Um, I was just saying I tend to look at different sides of situations and stories. So when I hear that story about the monk, um, it sounds really good, but what about that baby? And so I'm thinking, you know, okay, well, that's really great that the monk could be that way, but that poor baby is probably got attached to the monk, and then now he's going to go back to, you know, whatever. I mean, so, so is there... Is there any real true right or totally good solution? To, if, to, if that uh, were a real situations. situation, then um, suppose the monk took the baby, and the monk did wonderful things for the baby. And one of the things that he instilled in this small child was a sense of safety and wholesomeness. And that safety, that ability to be safe in the moment, would go with that small child no matter what happened to him. You know, one of the things about, well, there are an infinite number of possibilities around any given situation is that we can't know all of those. We can't know... We don't know anything about how the monk behaved, how the mother behaved, how the father behaved. We we don't know any of that. So it's not really possible to, to comment about that. So if it were happening to me, if somebody came to me and said, this is your baby, and I know this, for some reason you're responsible for this baby, and I accept that responsibility, then I would take care of that baby. But that has all kinds of other ramifications around it that I, you know, I can't really address. So when you bring up, what about the baby?, the story was really about how to deal with praise and blame. The baby was part of the story, but so was the young girl and so was the father who didn't know anything about it and I mean there there are all kinds of stories that we can create around it but it isn't you know for the point of for the purpose of illustration it's not it's not anything that we can usefully address. Does that make any sense? You know, I, I am. Uh, the The story is not about whether the Zen master was a perfect person, and therefore we have to defend all of his actions. The story was about not reacting to the uh, slings and arrows that are pointed at you. It's about it's about maintaining. It's about being present without having to control and manipulate the present all stories have other things you can say about them thank you so we have one over here I'm curious about the concept of fierceness that you had just because it just seems like a different term than the many that are used in you know Mm -hmm. in this discussion so could you expand on it or give an example or sure so um, so fierceness is uh, not uh, we often associate with fierceness a kind of hostility but It's not inherent in the word. Fierceness comes up from fire. comes from fire. So we might say there was a fierce argument, which implies a lot of hostility. But when we talk about a fierce presence, we're talking about an energetic presence. Excuse me. An energetic presence. So it really has to do with the energy and the warmth of the moment. So when I talk about A fierce determination to show up. It's that I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be stopped by things that have nothing to do with the moment. I'm not going to be stopped because it's uncomfortable. I'm not going to be stopped because you think I should be doing something different. It's not an intransigence, it's an energy. Does that make more sense? Um, I'm trying to think of a good uh, example. Uh, yeah, here's a possible example. One of the things we think of uh, in, uh, about mothers is that they will defend their children against anything. And we often use the term fierce defense. So I am. I, I will defend my child. You will not hurt my child. I'll stand here. I'll protect him. There's a fierceness about that. And it has to do with energy and determination. I could look up fierce in the dictionary and see if they gave me something else. But it really it comes from the spirit of fire. And fire is actually neutral. You know, it's one of the... The basic things. It's how we apply it that makes a difference. My choice of the word was intended to bring up this tension, actually. I could have said just a determination to be present in the room. But it is is the spirit of the energy that I find most important about the statement. Um, and it has something also to do with courage. Fierceness has to do with courage, which is not the same thing as uh, bravery. Um, bravery, to me, kind of implies that, that uh, uh, more recklessness, whereas courage has to do with, in spite of what I know, I'm going to take this action. I'm going to take this step. That's the spirit. In spite of what I know is risky, I'm going to take this step. How does that feel? Does it still bother you? <laughs> yeah, it's just that when I think of courage, I think of like a, a, a calm courage. So, having a fierce courage is just a different. Uh um, Well, it's different. Has a different feel. Different feel to it. So it's. Anyway, I'm just digesting that. So thank you. Yeah, well, if you think about it in terms of the seven factors of enlightenment or of awakening, we have both energy, and we have tranquility, and both are required, and we apply them at different times depending on the need. So while we, we typically list them in order, we don't use them in order. <laughs> you know? Sometimes I need to really boost myself to get something done, and sometimes I need to calm down and settle in order to, to get something done or to, or to lead away from suffering. So thank you for that, because I chose it deliberately, so I love that you did that. <laughs> that was good. Thank you. there anything else okay I'm going to tell you my quick story about vulnerability a friend of me friend of mine sent me uh, a YouTube lecture are you familiar with TED lectures so this was a TED lecture by a woman named Breen Brown and she's a sociologist at the University of Houston and she studies uh, shame and empathy So this was a talk on vulnerability, and it was given in December of 2010. So what she looked at was people who have a sense of worthiness, love, and belonging, and those who do not. Worthiness, love, and belonging, a sense of belonging, and those who do not. She was looking at connection and the influence of connection on how people prosper in the world. So what she discovered was that those with a strong sense of love and belonging believe they are worthy. So she said, well, that's interesting. I'm going to find out what that's about. So she divided people up, and she looked at those who had the strong sense of worthiness and asked, what do they have in common? So what they had in common was... A sense of courage that you tell your story from your heart. Who you really are. You don't pretend to be someone else. You, so it's a sense of courage. Compassion, specifically kindness toward themselves. Third, connection was only possible through authenticity. They believed that, that unless they were authentic, they could not make connection. And four, vulnerability was absolutely necessary. That they had to let go of the, the desire to control and predict. And she was blown away by that because she had a problem with vulnerability and she thought that was just crazy. And she went into to therapy for, for some period of time, a year or two, I've forgotten what she said, to deal with the fact that she was unwilling to look at vulnerability in that way. That what made people have a strong sense and long of love and belonging was their willingness to be vulnerable. Their willingness to be the first person to say, I love you. Their willingness to stand up in front of somebody without knowing what the outcome was going to be. that sound familiar? I found that really interesting. That vulnerability was the primary thing they had in common. The people who were able to form connections and have a strong sense of love and belonging was totally correlated with their insistence on being vulnerable. I found that absolutely remarkable and so did she. It drove her into therapy. (laughs) This is directly connected to what I think of as fierceness. Courage that arises out of willingness to show up for the moment, to accept the moment as it is, to accept the inability to control what comes next, these have to do with all of the factors that we've been talking about. Noticing mindfulness, energy, tranquility, concentration, being there, being there, being there. Her recommendations, by the way, were one, let yourselves be seen, love with your whole heart, practice gratitude and joy, and know I Am enough. So that's my final offering to you. Yes. I'm sorry, would you like repeating again, Let ourselves be seen. Love with our whole hearts. Practice gratitude and joy. Know I am enough. Seven factors of awakening. May you all be happy. May you all have a strong sense of belonging. May you all have a wonderful holiday. See you next month. Thank you.